say hombre, hold another bottle. Look a little closer, cigar in Moscato. An actor in improv, coming from Chicago. Alto, make way for Paul Vato. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Paul Vato Presents. Today, I have a very, very special guest, Susan Messing from Chicago. Look at that, she's the first one in here. Uh, so I'm going to invite you to speak, and then I'll invite you to video. There's going to be music playing. Don't freak out. Oops, what did I do? Shit. I'm also a little confused here. What did I do? Oh, I made you a producer. Okay. Um, I'm inviting you to speak, Susan, so uh, you can accept that and come up to the stage. And then shortly, I will turn the music off. There's a beautiful intro music. I'm going to invite you to camera as well. But what I'm doing is I'm doing a little bit of behind the scenes. There's that fortune cookie that I'm going to put all of your contact information and my contact information so people can find us. Okay. Uh, so they can click right below us. So Susan, welcome. Let's give the wait box uh, a little bit of a chance to uh, play. And then as the people are filtering in, and then I'll turn the wait bot off and then you and I can start our chat. Uh, let me invite you to camera. I guess I should invite myself to camera as well. Should I say turn on video? Uh, turn on video. Oh yeah, because you're a producer. I made this producer on accident, but I say okay. that worked. <gasps> we did it! You did it. Let me turn off the music. Well, everyone, welcome to Paul Bottle Presents. Please uh, share with your friends. Those are real applause. From people, and we'll be getting laughs. No, hopefully, um, if it bothers you, <laughs> thank you. If it bothers you, we can turn off the sound effects. Those are actually from people uh, in the audience that that are watching, okay. and then this will live on forever. You look amazing. Dear God, <laughs> you're so kind. Oh, you're so kind, Paul Pato, ladies and gentlemen. What an honor to be here. And a technological nightmare. <laughs> a little bit of both, right? I mean, but it worked. Look at this. Yeah. Riverside is not fireside. <laughs> yes, Riverside is not fireside. I'm glad we, you're like, yeah, yeah. I, got you know, I was just telling a friend the other day the arrogance I had in college. My accountant once called me um, up and he said, what's your social security number? And I said, one five zero three four zero zero six seven. He said, why, why do you know it so well? And I said, it's my student ID number, of course. This was my accountant at the time. And he stopped me and he said, Susan, that's my social security number. And I said, I had this arrogance in the back of my head thinking, oh, you know, he can drop his. I've been using it all four years in college. Apparently, that's not the way it works. Is he still alive? And can we use that number? <laughs> No, he's still dead. That's why I could say one five zero three four zero zero six seven. Mine is so much easier. Apparently, after that, mine has a bunch of fours in it. What's, so, what what so is yours? Easy. Just 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 an FYI. No, no, no. I, Paul, I'm very stupid and I'm willfully obtuse, but you're not going to get me to dump that one. Yeah, oh. we have to date first. That's what happens, and then I give you everything. Uh, well, that can be arranged. Uh, maybe I'll make a come to Chicago. <laughs> This has been the long con, Susan. I've been after you since uh, I don't want to say how long, you know. So, I, so this has been just the long con. So, here, oh my here. God, is is this the way people date now? Is they invite them on their podcasts? 
live podcast. I, I think so. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you been on a lot of podcasts? I've been on a lot of podcasts. I've dated none of them. None oh, of them. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Okay, good. I'm, good. I'm a widow, Paul. Be gentle with me. <laughs> Widows are my specialty. Or are they? They were Frank Sinatra's specialties. You're in good company. Was it? Frank Sinatra loved widows. Oh, did he love them? Like he could sniff out Lauren Bacall in a heartbeat. Yeah, he definitely did her right after uh, her husband died. That wow, wow! I did. Uh, I did date a, a widow, and it was it was a back. You know, I used to own an Overweiss Dairy of Geneva back in the day. I had a gourmet ice cream and coffee shop. I don't know if you if you knew that, but you know, I, would I didn't drive know that. I thought I you were the cigar to- man. I, I became the cigar man, but my first business was a gourmet ice cream and coffee shop in Geneva, Illinois. And wow. it was an Overweiss, Overweiss Dairy, which is very famous in Chicago, for those of you that don't know. When I bought it, I was 200 pounds. When I sold it seven years later, I was 300 pounds. That's how delicious this ice cream is. Um, and uh, I, there, was a, there was a young lady whom I dated uh, that worked at, a, at, a, at an Emilio's restaurant, Emilio's famous tapas restaurant in, in the Chicagoland area. They were in Geneva. And uh, she worked there and she had, they called it Fertile Myrtle because she had like three or four kids already and, and had, a, had just had a baby not that long ago. But her husband uh, passed away. He, di- he died, I, I, I think it was from an accident. Like he worked on poles or something and he fell down and died. Or, or maybe he had cancer. I don't remember. But I, it was I, either I, a telephone call or cancer. They're pretty much the same thing, yeah. I'm such an idiot. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, and uh, yeah. Electrocuted cancer, same thing. Same, same thing. So, so, so yes, I, I know how to handle widows. Widow, widows, widows. Is that the right? Yeah, widows. Uh, we'll, we'll touch on that. If you don't mind, we will touch on that because I, I mean, not to make light of, of a loss or anything, but but your husband was such a, a great man, such a wonderful, talented, artistic, everything man, whom, whom I met several times when I first moved to L.A. But, uh, you know, yeah, let's start out the show that way. So thank, thank you. Whatever. As my father used to say, your slightest bitch is my command, Paul. Ask away. What? That is so great, Susan. You are wonderful. Well, folks, I want to welcome everyone. To- <laughs> I want to welcome everyone to our show. This is Paul Lotto Presents. And today my guest is Susan Messing from the Chicagoland area. But we're going to get into all that. She's an amazing improv teacher, performer. She's an author, uh, dare I say, maybe even a puppeteer. I, I could be wrong on that, but I've, I've been doing some research. And uh, it's a little stand up uh, you uncovered, didn't you? <laughs> there's, there's a few things I have up my sleeve, Susan. So, uh, but so I want to talk about everything from, uh, and I, I believe I, I, I know that I think you're like my level three or four, maybe my level four teacher in Chicago. And I, I just remember level two or three. Well, when I was there, so maybe two and three or two? I mean, do you remember this? Three, you would have taken me during three. And then they said, Shanna said, oh, they have to have fun earlier. We're going to change it to level two, which made my job eight weeks harder. So, um, so yes, it's the shit I wrote high in my tub that we all did. (laughs) Amazing. So, folks, thank you so much for being here. If you guys could do us a favor and please... You know, interact with the show, but also share. Make sure you share it out to uh, other uh, fellow firesiders because this is such, I think, such a great interview, such a great guest. And also, if you want to share it to Twitter and all your other social media, that'd be wonderful. But thank you guys. And the replays are on, of course. 
So you guys can always come back and listen to it if you missed anything. But uh, I guess let's start diving into it. We know each other from uh, the improv world in Chicago. And I, I believe you were my level three teacher because Sharna was one. Miles, believe it or not, at the time was level two. And oh, he was horrific as a level two instructor. But let me let me hurry up and because he's he's a brilliant teacher. But if you don't know improv, you've never even been on stage. It was very frustrating for him to teach new improvisers. You could just tell the frustration. He would invite us out afterwards. Like you can ask me questions, but he would never talk to us. He would order his drink, a shot, a shot and a beer or whatever. I learned that from him. But Is that then, like the sign language, yeah, like the baby, the babies can learn it before English. A shot and a beer. Yeah, he'd come up to the bar and go. And I was like, and then, oh, a shot and a beer, okay. And, I, you know, we would try to befriend him at the bar afterwards. That didn't work. But now when I had him for level four, brilliant. Because now we knew improv, which kind of touches on what you just said. It made your job eight weeks harder teaching level two, right? Well, you learned a pile of rules in level one. And then I, I'm the one who does character environment and teamwork, all the stuff that gets me off. And I'm like, have fun. And everybody's like, but I don't want to fuck it up i mean oh am i allowed to say a swear on this yeah oh uh, yeah yeah you're almost okay. uh yeah you're almost encouraged to so yes sorry but uh, not sorry i guess right sorry not sorry um sorry i'm just reeling so much about um about my daughter's uh physical autonomy being taken away that i just you know it seems like somewhere in the back of me right now but uh yeah it was um it, it, it was a bizarre thing because when i started there were only three classes it was at, at the time, not when I started, but when I wanted to teach, it was just Sharna, Miles, and Dell. And that was all you got. And so, honestly, when I created my curriculum, it, it I just, she got a, an, another quarter of a revenue stream. So, but, but it was also something that I thought was missing in the program. And it's so funny that when I think of you, I never think of you as a student. I think of you as like a ubiquitous wonder. You were just sort of always there and and even when i didn't know you i knew you it was just it's a very bizarre community we have it's very it's become you know international and huge but it still seems tiny to me so once i know you know what i mean don't you feel like when you know somebody in the community you're just picking up where you left off uh, yes yeah and, and i know we've interacted you know through social media over, over the past years but not like it was in chicago you know back in the 1900s when we were there uh but, but uh, so it's your fault that they added more levels and more levels eventually uh, to the curriculum. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. It, mea culpa. Right. At the same time, it was really necessary because I think that uh, at least improv, in my estimation, for the most part, is a visual art. And if you're just standing around inventing, it, it gets really tiresome. You might as well be on a podcast, right? <laughs> exactly. So we, we need this now. We need what, what you teach. And, and something like this, uh, uh, because it's now become a visual medium as well. But it, it is, yeah, there's nothing worse than just talking heads on a stage, not going to their environment, not creating all that. So that's one. And now I've had to shift to teaching, you know, on via Zoom. And it's kind of fascinating because I'll have someone from Poland or um, from Israel in my class where there's somebody from Massachusetts and someone from Arizona and Mexico, whatever the case may be. It's It's kind of fun that everybody wants to be together, but then you have to figure out how do you make Zoomprov look um, active and fun and something worth watching. That, that's that been a dilemma of mine, but you know, I'll rip out my hair in large tufts trying to figure it out. So 
I'll I'll do the dirty work so you don't have to watch it. So <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank my you. Pleasure. My pleasure. I'm getting feedback. It might be my microphone because it's only when I'm talking. So I hope it's not bothering the people uh, in in the audience. I do. It sounds squeaky, doesn't it? It it does. I think. Oh wait, that's still there. If it bothers people, we can always restart the show. But uh, uh, so so send me no, a message. Now it's now by mentioning it, it's become almost insurmountable. I'm just just saying. So yeah. we'll just take it. Maybe if we're really quiet, the squeaks will stop and the mice will go away. Ooh, it almost did. Well, it's not doing it when when you talk. Maybe it's me. Maybe I'm too. Oh, there it is. I'm, you know what? I think I was too loud. I don't have to scream. There's it's a microphone right there. Paul Votto, oh. you're a genius. We are geniuses, Susan Messing. That's uh, what we do together. That's what we. That, that's that's improv, isn't it? Uh, yes, and the power of yes, and. I have a friend who just uh, actually. Uh, who just said to me that they were eating an ice cream called Turkey Hill. And when you were talking about Oberweiss and I thought Oberweiss sounds kind of, I don't know, Swedish and, and wholesome, but Turkey Hill is not a great brand name for an ice cream. I've decided. No, God, it's far when from. I think, yeah. When I think of massacres for Thanksgiving and the hill we die on, I can't wait to eat ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Uh, Oberweiss, I believe that they were of German descent and made some of the, still to this day, make some of the best dairy product, milk in glass bottles. You know, I would sell them. I was at the train station in Geneva, Illinois for from 93 to 2000 when I sold everything and moved to L.A. to, you know, to become famous and become an actor and then had to sell cigars to support my acting habit. So You mean, you mean infamous, Paul Vada? In, yes, yes, infamous. So well, when, let's... You, when you mentioned Germans, though, I have to say, when I bought my house here in Chicago in 1996, there was a crawl space that immediately I put in a ladder so that it would become, you know, a proper attic at one point. And this little Jew found so much Nazi shit. Like, I'm not joking. I found because my house was built in 1881, which is 10 years after the Chicago fire. And before I did an extensive amount of re uh, renovations simply to make it safe, uh, I found a bunch of shit in the attic. One of the things I found was a, a pamphlet for Germany in 1934, where they say, our fear says, maybe 34, 35 says, our fear says it's never too early to drive our Autobahn, or our fear says it's never too early to get your tickets to the 36 Olympics. You know, I'm sitting there going, oh my God, oh my God, the Gutmans who lived here for 65 years were Nazi fucking sympathizers. So that was a hoot. Oh, 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 do you still have that memorabilia? Oh, yeah. I have a big, um, a big like suitcase that was up there, too. And I tried to keep anything that wasn't sort of crumbling. You know what I mean? Sometimes that stuff just, you know, that smell of 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 uh, paper that's kind of disintegrated and and crumbly. So every time I touch it, I feel like I should probably put gloves on or something. Instead of going, oh well, lasted as long as it did, but it's it's there, and I and I took a peek on Sunday. Wow! Oh my goodness! But can you imagine that? Like this couple? Well, yeah, of course, of course, you can imagine. That's ridiculous. He was, he was apparently these people kept very close to themselves and very quiet. Um, they he was a plasterer and a painter, Mister Gutman, as well as a hoarder, like an amateur horticulturalist. So I've got a lot of good solid um, base plantings around the joint. 
you know, which I have to thank him for. Um, for Hitler, I'm not going to thank him as much as I would for the mock orange or the lilac. Yeah. But yeah. but you still you still somehow afford him the respect of calling him Mr. Gutman. Mr. Gutman. Yeah. Oh yeah, Mrs. Mrs. Gutman died on this floor, the first floor, because I guess tenants lived upstairs. The second part was built in 1937, and down here, uh, I guess this is where the people who own the building would always live. And she died in this room, I think. And I, when I bought the place, I mean, I'm not a real boo scary person, you know, but I'll take it with a grain of salt. I'll I'll take it with a grain of salt but I'll take it. And I walked around with a piece of shitty like bodega incense, you know, and just kind of said, I'm not trying to take over the place. I'm just want to let you know I'm here. Friendly, friendly fire, you know, yay. So I, honestly, this has been a very happy house, but I'm surprised um, that more shit hasn't happened in a bad way. Like if, if that, if people believe in that kind of stuff, sure. I don't never, I, never mind the mezuzah. You know, I've, which is odd because I was raised Jewish. So you would think I would have one on the door and every other kind of mishimash, but I don't. But I think it's also because I keep myself on the Jew roster because you can actually, there's a loophole that you can question the existence of God. But a couple of weeks ago, we were doing something called the World Comedy Expo here in Chicago, which is, it sounds fancier, I think, than it is. But it was the first year and they did real well. And I was doing a show and I was a kid having my bat mitzvah and I said, Judaism is, you know, described as many things like there's reform, which I am. And then there's conservative, uh, orthodox, Hasidim and what the fuck. So Judaism, Judaism looks like a, like, like the most severe form of Judaism looks like a, a massive dose of OCD to me because there's like 613 commandments you have to, from putting on your pants to, you know, drinking water or whatever the hell it is. It's, there's so much shit you have to do every day. And if you don't do it right, do you displease your Lord, which is a wrathful, you know, revengeful? I don't know. I don't know any of this shit, but it, it, it creeps me out. I did go home for Passover, a great time to see my family and looked at a Haggadah and thought to myself, I believe this. You know what I mean? That kind of weird feeling. Sure. Yeah. Like this yeah. is my shit. Like, is it my shit because it's my shit or is it my shit? Like my daughter self identifies as Jewish. I didn't make her get a bat mitzvah. You can do that all, you know, for your, in your entire life. I didn't make her go to Hebrew school or anything because my ex-husband is, was, is a lapsed Catholic. And I didn't want to jam Jesus down her throat any more than I wanted to do, you know, make it all about the old Testament. So I just kind of try to like keep it chill and my side of the street as clear as possible and let her make her own choices, you know? Wow, that's that's wonderful. And you're obviously you're a wonderful mother and a great parent because uh, I mean I've known her since she was inside you. I remember yep. when when you, you and Joe uh, got together, and uh, of course I was like, oh, there's my chance. But uh, you know, I figured Joe would still be around. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah, we we all thought Joe would still be around. God bless. But if Joe had not been around, then I guess I would have been married to Michael and. He wouldn't have been around. Everything, yeah. you know, love yeah. is not enough, Paul. It's all in the timing. It is. Yeah, that, that is so true. Now, you said, what, what, so you went back home. Where where did you grow up? Where is home for you, if you don't mind touching a little bit on that? Oh, not at all. I grew up in Short Hills, New Jersey. Um, if you go to the mall, $10,000 might buy you a blouse. Um, it, was a, it was a lovely place to grow up. I find it to be a highly unrealistic place to live now. Um and and not because it's just because I I remember the students had better cars than the teachers. You know what I mean? There was just something really off about it. The guy who owns Arizona Ice Tea lives there, and 
there were some beautiful trees on his property and he raised them all to the ground and put other trees in, you know, like, like for his estate or whatever the case may be. And just in a world of conspicuous consumption and 1% business, it's, it's a little difficult for me to um, chew on and be okay with for me. It's just not a lifestyle choice that I would ever do, but it is, I'm very, very grateful to grow up safe uh, there. Very safe. So that was good. Wonderful. Wow, wonderful! And it's 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 funny because I just saw his home, the guy that owns Arizona, uh, that started Arizona Iced Tea, and it, for some reason he was trending. Oh, I think people were very happy that he's never raised a price past ninety nine yes, cents. That's what it Correct. was, and that he had it was a picture of him and his two sons or something that he's worth four billion or something. Yeah. Again, once you hit a billion, you know, what you gonna do, you know? Didn't Warren Buffett call on the one percenters to donate everything that they've made when they die or something? I think there's something in the Smithsonian as to some sort of promise that they uh, gave that they would do that, which I think would be really, really nice. Yeah, you, you don't You don't need, you don't, I could live on a million a year, whatever. No, I'm just kidding, but uh, it's-, it's But uh, I mean, seriously. Yeah, and for life, you could really, you know, you, yeah. you don't need a lot. Um, when I was forced to stay home, you know, for three and a half months and not making any money because my store was closed inside of a casino and at home going like, oh, how am I going to survive? And I'm like, are you kidding? I'm saving money. I've never spent less money because I wasn't out all the time. I, I, I would just order food uh, and it's hard for me to order groceries because then I'll just eat everything. So I'd rather just order food once a day, even if it is groceries, but just just to last me that day, because otherwise I'll eat it all. Uh, I'm, so like I, that I, too. I'm, I'm like a dog. I'll eat until my stomach explodes if I'm not careful, usually when I'm high. So when I'm not high, for some reason, I'm less hungry. Isn't that weird? Um, so weird, Susan. I don't know how that works, but it's, and I will also say this, how much shit do you need? I, I'm, I'm being honest here. I probably, I have about four of these cashmere sweaters and you know, you're done with one of them when your dog George is all over it. You know, other mm -hmm. than that, um, maybe I rotate three t-shirts I like and two pairs of sweatpants and just change the underpants and bra. So I mean, even now, I remember when my mom retired and her getting rid of all of her suits that she used to have to wear for managing lawyers, you know, and gave them to organizations that helped women get jobs. And she hasn't worn a, even a dress barely since then. You know what I mean? She just wears jeans to do pottery in. And, and I just can't see, I can't see, even, even shopping was weird. I had to go to um, Baton Rouge two weekends ago. I was uh, doing their improv festival there. And, uh, I was like, shit, I need a dress. So I went over to old, old Navy and they had this clearance dress that was, um, clearance dress that was, it looked okay. It was only, it was 1999. It was that bad kind of, uh, little house on the prairie look. And I thought I, I thought it was adorable. Then I wore it and I felt great, did a great show afterwards, looked at the pictures and said, who the fuck did this to you? Almost <laughs> as if I hadn't done it to myself. You know what I mean? Like one of those, I have the opposite of body dysmorphia. I think I'm so fucking hot. And then I see the pictures and I'm like, this is so wrong on so many levels. And you, you might actually have to invest in someone who will tell it to you straight. So I think it's oh, what I'm God. That's so funny. That is so funny. I just uh, went on a clothing rant. Ridiculous. <laughs> so how did you, how did you make your way? And, and I guess first I meant to ask, are, so your mom's around. What about your father? Is, 
My dad died in 1990, probably the funniest guy I ever knew. Um, he had colon cancer and he died at age, I want to say 54, but it might be 52. That's how weird time passes. And it feels like yesterday and it feels like forever ago. He, um, he was what he used to say, I'm a down home chemical mixer from Milford, Connecticut, but that's not true. He ended up in chemical mixing later in his life, but, uh, he was from originally from New York and he met my mom when, you know, they, they married in 1959 and he was 23 and she was 19. That's insane. It's insane. And he had, she had twins when she was 20 and she's tiny. And she had me when she was 22. And I was like, I barely could keep it together to have a kid at 39. So that's insane. But my dad was super, super funny. And I ended up, I landed at Northwestern University after doing a program between my junior and senior year called the National High School Institute. And for those of the people who know uh, that program, it's a fantastic program. And you've got like some serious theater or people who do forensics, um, you know, journalism, a bunch of stuff. And it was, it was a really amazing program. I'd never even heard of Northwestern. I mean, I, I wasn't planning to apply to any school that was not on the East Coast. I, I didn't even know Northwestern existed. I really didn't. But my mom had been what they call a cherub. They, they call us cherubs. She had been a journalism cherub when she was young. So I went, and that's how I landed in the Midwest. And the year after I graduated college, I'd remembered a place that I had auditioned from. And, and I was, by the way, I was a theater major, and I was terrible. It's the worst actress ever. But we, we looked like a conservatory, but they couldn't kick you out for a lack of talent. So I could stay. Um, and my friends still to this day from the theater department, every five years we have the reunion at my house here in Chicago because I don't give a shit about going up to campus for that crap. And they think I'm so nice, but I'm like, I get a pass out at my own house. And they and theater majors clean up your house better than, better than a cleaning service. Next morning you're like, did I have a party? That's how great they are. So um, the year after I graduated Northwestern, I had remembered that my junior year I had auditioned for some sort of Harold team. I had no idea even what that was and even that, that I would be doing comedy or something. I don't know what I did. And so I went back to that place, which was called Improv Olympics at the time, until the Olympic Committee came and shut down the word Olympic because they have, they have nothing better to do than shut down small comedy clubs and diners that have Olympic or Olympia in the name and uh, started taking classes there. And I was, I was... You know, when you when you taste that improv joy joy, you kind of want to do that more and more. I mean, some people are like, ew, because right now the the improv has been so much. It's like a glut of improv. It almost reminds me of like stand up in the 80s where you're just like start rolling your eyes after a while. When in fact, I have a lot of respect for stand up. But in terms of improv, there's so many different applications for it now. But when I started, long form was still only like five years old. So it was, it was a brave new world of using improv, not just as a, as a source of creating uh, scripted work, scripted sketch, like they did at Second City, but it was his own bitch. And so um, I came on the generation of it's its own bitch. Although there were not a lot of bitches around, just very few women when I started. Very few, sure. Yeah, my friend John Lair just reminded me of the generation I come from. He's like, I can't believe you're alive, let alone, you know, like doing this. Because he remembers that time. And a lot of, you know, you had to have a real strong stomach or be a masochist like myself to to um, really invest in it. So by the time you got me as an instructor, that was already, I feel like I had traveled a world before I even got there. And I'm, I'm thrilled that I haven't been, you know, 
I haven't been taken off stage so far, so I'm, I'm pleased. Of course not. Of course not. I mean, no, no. If they ever, if they ever took the cane and brought me off stage, I'd be like, man, I had a long run. It's like a lifetime of imposter syndrome. It's great. It's great. I, I love it. I love, when, uh, so, what year are we talking about then? That you. 1986, I graduated Northwestern, and that is when I started improvising, 1986. 1986. I'm, old. I'm 58 years I, I, old. Yeah, please, everyone, let's give let's give Susan a round of applause. Because for surviving. You are, <laughs> just for surviving. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would, I would never, if I didn't know you this long, I would never guess that. If I met you, I, I wouldn't say 58. And I, and I don't even know if that's really even a compliment or not. I don't I even know, know what it means anymore. Yeah. I mean, my mom's 82 and she's a hottie. So what the fuck, right? I mean, she was. <laughs> my mom's a hottie. Thank you. And and she's also a, a widow. So be careful. <laughs> Which one? My mother widow or me widow? Because <laughs> we're both widows. Both. As is my sister Robin. We're the widow. We're there. Yeah. Widow makers. Who is the widow maker? A heart attack is a widow maker. That's all I know. The widow makers. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, wow, wow. And maybe we'll get to that or maybe at another conversation because, uh, you know, experience, you know, just ex your experience with, with uh, I don't know, uh, with loss, I mean, it, and how maybe it affected your work. So, so it's 86. I show up maybe 10 years later because, of course, we're going to try and revolve this around me. Uh, so so that's about 10 or no, maybe 11 years later, but it would have been sooner. But I ended up buying this ice cream shop. I was a business broker driving around the Chicagoland area selling businesses like a real estate, but but for business. And um, so I remember in in 93 thinking, do I go to Chicago to learn how to do improv or I'm sorry, to learn how to hear about it? Where did you hear about it? Well, um, in, in 93, I was trying to decide. If, if I should, you know, go to Chicago and learn how to do stand up, and uh, because that's what I want to do. And even when I showed up in 97, 96 or 97, I still wanted to learn how to do stand up. And that's what I told Sharna. She was like, well, we don't teach stand up here. We teach improvisational comedy. I was like, oh, wait, well, wait, that's your Sharna. Your Sharna's like meow meow. My sh your Sharna's meow meow. My Sharna's Sharna. <laughs> Sharna. Well, and I say that to her face, too. I'm like, what Sharna? <laughs> what Sharna? That's not Sharna. Me. Uh, but I think she was just very, you know, because I'd already paid. I'd already written a check because that's what we used to do back in the day. And I was that's like, well, I've already paid. So teach me what you guys teach. And if I like it, I'll stick around. And then I came by on a Monday to watch the Armando show. And I'm, I'm sure it was you and like Lutz. And uh, I remember Abby Shackner was maybe the monologist. And what you guys did was I genius. I'm like, how do they do this? I go, no, this is what I want to do. Not, not stand up. So it, it took me a few years from the time I bought my business in 93 to to then find find Improv Olympic in like 97, I'm, I think 96 or 97. And it was and uh, a couple of It was IO by then, right? I, uh, no, uh, I think it was still Improv Olympic. It was really? I, I think so in 97, 98. I think it was. Now, I um, found out because I had a customer go, you know, she was like, you're really funny. And I was like, oh, thanks. Uh, she was like, uh, so she said, she. I think she was a teacher at College of DuPage. And she was like, they're doing this workshop this weekend. It was like a young actor's workshop. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm young. I could be an actor. And, but it was really, they did some improv exercises. And I think I met someone in that class. 
that then told me about, about improv because we studied a little bit of improv. And it was just on a weekend with Chad Allen and Nicole something. Uh, it was the girl from Beethoven, the movie Beethoven. And then her sister also uh, was in the was was like in one of the soap operas, like Bold and the Beautiful or something. And Chad Allen. So apparently they were the young actors, not us necessarily. So it was a young actors workshop. And there I got this little taste of improv. And they're like, ah, you know, of course, they tell you you're pretty good because they want you to come back the next day. Um, and and then through there, I think I met someone and I took like a like a month course or two month course in a lady's house also like around the College of DuPage area. And then there I must have found out about Improv Olympic or maybe the Yellow Pages, I don't know, comedy club or something. I think with, you know, one of the cool things about improv is when you do see, I mean, you can see a million horrible things, right? But the minute you see one incredible show that you look at and say, this is magic, like the Armando show you might've seen, uh, it blows your wad. It really does. I remember seeing... I saw, I think one of the first shows I saw Dave Pasquese, uh, Tim Meadows, Mick Napier, Dave Rosowski. Did I say Dave, Dave Rosowski? Uh, it, it blew my mind. It blew my mind. And they were so in sync. Rich Label was in it. it. How did they know that? Like they finished each other's, it was like, and I was like, how did they know that? And this was in the archaic years where it's improv was still crunchy, you know, like, Harold was still new and Harold is one of the improv forms. It's kind of what Charna calls, you know, what is it? The, the base form of, of all long form improv, but it really is just a time dash interspersed with short form games and short form is where you see kind of like whose line is it anyway, for those who don't know. Um, and I hate to make it down to such boil it to basics. Cause now when I look at improv offerings, they're insane. Like, protagonist-led improv, improv for grief, you know, improv for Alzheimer caregivers. Like it's insane, the applications that people bring improv to. I mean, they help people CERN with the super collider folk. Apparently they don't like to talk to each other. Sharna went to CERN. Sharna went to CERN. Those are the super what? collider people. They don't get along very well and they hold kind of major secrets that could blow up the world, right? So apparently she's like, you all have to get along, Sharna. <laughs> yeah, that's shout out. That's, it's, it's, I, I worked at Fermilab, which is kind of the equivalent of CERN, but in Batavia, Illinois, because my father worked there. So I, I, during the summers, I, I would work there, not in what any. Uh, what's that? What did you do? I would uh, solve physics problems. No, I'm kidding. I drove a taxi. It was called, it was their hack service because I was barely, you know, probably eight. I must have been 18 because I think you have to be 18. So I would drive the physicists around and the the most horrible, uh, exactly what you said, like like they have no social skills, but they're the smartest people in the world, but they can't communicate with each other. They can't communicate with normal people. They can't, they can't give each other credit. They can't collaborate. They get mad. They, they don't want to share ideas. I'm like, hey, assholes, if you put it together, you might solve some shit. But even when you said to me that you were solving physics problems, this is how stupid I am. I was like, really? Like, uh, you were like, then you said only kidding, but I would have gone on that ride. I am so gullible that people have to use a safe word with me, which is really. And then they have to tell me. <laughs> it's not funny when you're dealing with some business decisions. <laughs> but yeah, actually, there's a guy, um, when my sister Bonnie died, she died of breast cancer in the end of 2017. She left me um, some money and my mother suggested I put it with uh 
some financial advisor I'd never heard of before. And I said, are you going to Madoff me? And I was just so proud that um, I was able to use Madoff into a verb. Uh, but beyond that, I kind of go, oh, well, you know what I mean? There's something like really smart, dumb about me. So if you want to take advantage of a 58-year-old widow, I'm your bitch. Yeah. Uh, would you mind buying me a, a, a flight to Chicago? That, that, let's start sure. there. Okay, wonderful. Sure. Yeah, the sure. power, see, folks, the power of yes and. Um, yes. I, would I you think like that- to fly in morning or night, and would you like to fly into Midway or O'Hare? See, that, that would be my follow-up questions. When we say an improv, we say, yes, we agree with you, and we say, and. And I know it was in the form of a question, but he's the one who wants the flight, so. There you go. There you go. Mm-hmm. And that's that's sales techniques as well, because you never go, do you want this? It's like, when do you want it? Do you want me to call you back in the afternoon or in the evening? Uh, the illusion of choice. That's the, the illusion, illusion of choice. choice. I'm going to call you, but when when's better for you, you know? I used to do that with my daughter. I would say, would you like to wear the pink blouse or the yellow blouse? Knowing fully well, these are the only options I'm going to give you today. She she ended up fine. But yeah, there's a lot of um, psychological manipulation there. And and it actually works. It kind of talks you in, doesn't it? Sure. It absolutely. Because yeah. you're like, oh, I made those decisions. And now I've bought a new car that I don't even want. Like, what just happened? So yeah, yeah, yeah. A hundred percent. What made you want to move to Vegas? I met a casino owner who loves cigars and there was a writer strike going on in Hollywood in 2008, 2009. Uh, and it was the bottom of the market. We bought the first property that I bought here in Vegas. Uh, I'd hate to even say it was ended up costing like $35,000 for a five bedroom house. It was a mid century uh, nine, built in 1955, 56 uh, with it, it had five bedrooms, but it had been split up. So it had two little studio units and, you know, three, three, three in the main, in the main house. Was it uh, zoned for that? Was it zoned for that? I, I think so. It was in a Latino neighborhood. So I'm going to say yes. Uh, or sometimes people just say, fuck that. You know, I'll pretend it was grandfather clause in or whatever. Or you always, when you always and, see and it, the building shows, they're like, they, you know, they go out on the porch that's been enclosed and made into a bedroom. They go, are we zoned for this or is this legal? You know, that kind of thing. And I believe it was because uh, then I met a gentleman, uh, Rudy Nino, who uh, from Wisconsin, Latino guy, but looked Italian and everyone thought he was Italian and he ran strip clubs. So everyone thought he was, you know, part of the mafia. Uh, and he said, he goes, my grandfather actually lived in your house because they grew up around the corner. And at one point, I, I don't know if he got kicked out of his house, but he lived in one of those little studio units. So I would imagine that they were grandfathered in from the fifties or sixties or, yeah, well, from probably later on, maybe seventies. You know, after. are they your ADUs type of thing? So, did you turn it into a single family residence, or did you just ADU the fuck out of it? Uh, well, uh, part of buying it uh, because it, it was listed at thirty five. Uh, we knew that the only way to get it was pro- to overbid, so we we bid forty two thousand on it, and we we're how like, yeah. was, how awful was the space? Like when you walked in, were you like? this is a hoarder or murder or like what, what subset would you give it? Or was it just like spooge everywhere, you know, like with the black light, like eventually, eventually there was a spooge everywhere. But uh, when we, when we got it, no, <laughs> uh, it was uh, no, no, it was uh, in great. I mean, I, I'll send you some photos. It was in great condition. The bones were great. Uh, I didn't, I mean, I lived in it. We lived in it for three or four years before we even remodeled anything uh, like putting in a new floor 
but uh, they needed a new paint job on the outside. Uh, I think eventually would have needed a new roof, but it had sold for like 250,000, maybe in like 2006, you know, a year and a half, two years before the, the bottom. The, the closure? I don't understand. But yeah. even, I mean, was it one of those kind of weird auction things? Like what, I, how could you get it for so low when it originally was 250? I could see it going down to 150, but I couldn't see it going on to 42,000. 40, 42,000. Well, 35. So we bid 42 uh, and we got it. And then uh, this was in October of 09. So we're like, well, uh, October 1st, we were living on our boat in Marina Del Rey. So then uh, this was with my ex-wife. She was my wife at the time. So then uh, we, we, we let our friends stay on the boat and we come to Vegas. And then when we're filling out all the paperwork, you know, to, 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 give, them, to give them the money, they're like, uh, wait, are you guys going to live in it? And we're like, yeah, yeah, we've moved here. They're like, that's the wrong paperwork. Like, they're like, we're like, well, what's the big, what's the, what's the big deal? And they're like, well, if we fill out the right paperwork, you get a $7,500 tax credit because Obama was doing like a first time homeowners. I'm like, well, I already have a house in Illinois. They're like, no, uh, if you're a first time homeowner in the state, then you get oh. a $7,500 tax credit. I'm like, oh, Okay, because we also had a place in L.A., but that was rented out. It was a condo in, in, in Playa del Rey. That was rented out, so we couldn't access that. So, so then, you've always been kind of a real estate developer as well as like, you're a, you're a jack of all trades, Paul Vado. You are the ubiquitous wonder. I think that's from now on, if we put something on your cape, it's going to be ubiquitous wonder. I mean, I grew up in my mom's lived in our house for 58 years. Like it's the she's going to sell it, I think, next year. But. 58 years in the same house. I've lived here since 1996 and I can't imagine moving. I'm impressed with your ability to shift and just, I don't know, access and fascinating. Wow. Well, I, I was so impressed that, that you bought your house in 96. I mean, I would, I'd, I'd love to see your, your place because it is such- I think you'd like it. I think the place was held up initially by a log and hope and spit. I mean, that's the thing is, you know, plastic tile on the walls, no shower in the entire home. And the second floor, it almost looked like, um, almost like a camp stove. You know, it was, it, this place was ready to go and, but it did have nice bones. But in 19, in 2006, I thought, you know, I'd like a level basement floor. That's not much to ask only for the lovely Polish uh, contractor, uh, Joseph Pora to dig into my footings only to discover I had no footings, which meant I had no foundation. And like, it was crazy what they fixed in this place to simply make it safe. I mean, it was, it was really bad. So now uh, it's like a, it's, it's a bunker. If anybody's in Chicago and the shit hits the fan, I invite you to come to my home. It is a fucking bunker. Everything is like stealing concrete. And I was like, okay, okay. I had no choice because my basement was held up by a log. So Oh my goodness! Well, it was built in 1881. Uh, we bought another place in LA, built in 1888, which you know, LA. Um, I mean, it was when LA was just starting, kind of. You know, so that's about as early as LA gets, practically. Yeah. I mean, honestly, 1888 in LA, and it managed to survive every beautiful home, or was it like? It, it was like a tiny Victorian home, and I forget—I uh, uh, almost forget what the technical term is. But it was like a very tiny, uh, like 900, 800 square feet. But I mean, that was also like I think had gone into foreclosure. But this was just 
uh, in 2016. And I mean, the, the deal that we got, we just couldn't, we couldn't pass it up. Uh, and it's probably, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was just, it was, it was, and it was, you know, a bad real estate agent. He was, uh, he wasn't keeping in touch with the woman and the woman lived in like Long Beach and, and just, it just was like the perfect storm. It was probably the, the least expensive house in LA. That, that we could okay. have ever Meanwhile, anybody listening or is just listening to us talk about real estate because really that, that has nothing to fucking do with improv. But, but look how well we shift. Look what we can pretend we are. Oh yeah, yeah, I, I, I fixed shit up. But uh, I'll show you the, because I was really proud of, and, I, I, and we did end up selling the, the house here in Vegas to buy this condo that I'm in right now. Uh, and, and still, you know, got a great deal on the house and then just flipped it up to, a con- to this condo, which I don't like the, you know, the... Uh, HOA and stuff like that. So I'm trying to get out of this, I think. But what, um, what do you get with your condo? Do you have a community pool? Do you have a nice clubhouse? And do you have a high HOA? Uh, like, yeah, like 350, 350 a month. I don't know if that's high, but I mean, bad it's, you it's not bad because our place in LA, the condo that we were renting out, that was 700, 700, 800 bucks a month. And it's probably, it's probably more, it's gone up now. So, you know. I- I think that, um, I mean, there's pros and cons for all that kind of thing. You don't have to worry about anything on the outside. You don't yep. have to, I mean, there's, there's a lot of joy about that. It, I guess it depends what kind of lifestyle you have. I mean, I could see myself having a tiny cabin somewhere. I could see myself going to pick up someone at the airport and just wanting to continue to drive to Wisconsin, never to be seen again, you know, shit like that. But <laughs> I think, I think a lot of people have had a little too much time to sit and think during the pandemic of what they want. And I've never done what I wanted as much as what I thought I should be doing. Does that make sense? Or yeah. what is necessary because I need to keep a body alive, you know, those kind of things. So it's very weird to kind of hear, well, what do you want now? I certainly don't want a lifestyle more than I have right now. I think it, anything else would be conspicuous consumption and gross, especially in a world where there's such a huge imbalance. Um, but I mean, the fact that I'm making my living doing improv is already incredibly bizarre. Um, yeah. And in 96, when you bought your home, I mean, that's how you... you, you well, I was also making- doing a lot more on camera work then and also a pile of voiceovers. I was like the voice of uh, Montgomery Wards, which no longer exists, which was like, don't forget your words card. So I could live in L.A. and pay my mortgage here in Chicago at, you know, at the same time. So I, it was actually pretty easy. And there were years before my husband got sick in 2018 where I teach a pile of improv classes during the week and every weekend tour almost, especially during the summer months when Sophia was at camp because then I didn't have to worry about childcare. And I, there was one time I was just telling someone, you, uh, you know, those weird foot massagers where you put both feet in, it goes, rawr, rawr, you know, that kind of thing. I was in terminal two in Chicago at O'Hare, which at the time was, I mean, the pit, it was the worst, but they had one of those, um, what are those places where they sell headphones and fans, you know, places like that, like things you don't need, but, sure. but to see it, you need, uh, So they had one of those foot massagers out in the hallway to kind of, you know, entice people to come in. And I sat in that chair and I couldn't get out of it. And people were walking by me, giving me dirty looks like, you know, we'd all like to take a chair, you know, a a little spot. I ended up buying it because I felt like such an asshole. But it was one of those things where that just kind of 
exhaustion of I'd never traveled so much in my life and, you know, got on planes every week like so many people do. And it was crazy. Although I have to say getting on a plane was super fun the last couple of times when the people next to me don't wear masks. That's so much fun. I, I really appreciate the fact that whatever they have, I'm going to get to. Although sure. I'm wearing masks so they won't have what I have. It's just really, it's a nice way to share. Sharing is caring. I did make friends though with row 25. I made sure to say to them, you guys, we're the best row. And so even when she started talking about abortion that can happen after birth. I was like, that's not possible. That's called murder. murder. What I, I would go, I would immediately go back and go road 25. We're the best. So we don't have to have a complicated political discussion about people with people who know nothing about science. It's so much fun. I've, I've, I love that. I've bought everyone in my row a drink and gone like, this is the party row. All right. Like, yeah. You just, always have to make friends with your row. You do. We're the best row. I love it. Yeah. Tw- row 25. Best row. Uh, vacations where, uh, for some reason, you know, flights remind me of vacations. Do you get to go on vacations often? Do you have to, uh, because for some reason I'm thinking like Mexico or, uh, Europe or where, where would. No, I mean, most of, most of my traveling for the past, God, 15, 20 years has been in response to being invited to headline a festival. So, and so that you teach and perform, um, so no, it's not, I would have to say if you want to see the closest I can come to uh, thinking there might be a God, I don't think that way, I'll go to the Redwood Forest. That makes me really happy. So the Redwood Forest is a place that I would, Northern California, I can handle like super well. I like to, I like to get a car and drive those hairpin turns. Um, I like the idea of, oh, there's ocean or mountain and you've got this much space. I do like that. I'm not complicated. If you put me near something that has trees and maybe a lake, I'll be okay. I've never been a fancy traveler. The last place I went in Europe, I guess, um, well, I went to Norway because Michael was okay at the time. It was 2019. That was the last place I went um, for work, you know, like that was outside. But I also have to be careful when I travel abroad because once they have you, they have you because they, they take you and you can they can promise that you'll only be doing X and then be like, oh, you don't mind three more shows in a tall back. Do you? And I'm like, what? And then you just do it. But in the beginning, I'm, I'm learning how to speak up for myself a little more. I'm like, I'm older. <laughs> like, can't do that. Don't feel like sleeping on your couch and talking about improv until 3 a.m. That's not yeah. going to happen. We've not done that. Happen. We've done that already. No, it's not going to happen. <laughs> and I can guarantee you that will fucking not happen. I'm just saying this so that I keep myself honest so that you can show me later and say, did you sleep on someone's couch and talk about improv and drink shitty beer till 3 a.m.? I'm like, uh, I was held hostage. And you're like, no, that's not going to happen. You'll negotiate for me, Paul. That's all good. I, I, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, well, I have to get uh, I have to get your safe word. And then uh, then you, you is- just call, you call me and you say that word and I'll be right there to to negotiate for you. Yeah. I mean, it can definitely be said in different ways. It can be like, really? <laughs> really? Really is what, is what helps me when I'm gullible. Cause I, I really, if you tell me something twice, I will start to believe it to be true. That's uh, not good. <laughs> no, not. I spend so much make believe time on stage, you know? And so I tend to kind of bleed it into life, especially in this um, new world order where facts are apparently, um, an option that's kind of sure. 
thing. Am I, you know, I'm old enough to remember when alternative fact meant lie. I, I'm, that's what I remember. And, and yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And, and, you know, um, you, you mentioned Michael and is there, uh, can we talk a little bit about Michael and, and, and what a great life? I mean, you know, what a brilliant comedic mind he was and, and maybe how you guys met because I, I, was he in LA or how did I, cause I could have sworn I hung out with him in LA. I had known Michael McCarthy, um, who I, he'd been in my sphere for over 25 years. Cause once you meet improvisers, whether it's second city annoyance, IO or anywhere, you sort of know them. And, um, and one of the nice things about meeting again in LA and places like that is that we're all just different generations. So, you know, I could be teaching someone who could end up being fucking amazing, brilliant or whatever. And I'm acting next to them, you know, in something in another project that just happens through the decades. So Michael had really had quite a career even before I'd even met him. He'd, already, he'd been a writer on SNL right out of college. He went to OU. And um, 25 years later, after I had done a pilot presentation with him and a bunch of another horrible show we'd all done together, suffered with, called Quick Wits. Do you remember Quick Wits? I do. Quick Wits. Yeah, that's, um, it's painful, but it happens. Um it's, it was really terrifying. And we all took a turn for the most part on that. Um, but Michael had done that as well. I found a picture of him near me. I was like, oh my God, I didn't even know Michael had done that. And about 25 years after we had met each other, he sent me a text one day. We, I don't know, he just sent me a message on Facebook and he said, how are you, sweetheart, really? And we started chatting. And about two days later, he said, I mean, this is how gullible I am. He sent <laughs> me a text. He sent me a text that said, stop farting around, messing, life is short, we should be together and you're perfect. I mean, what are you going to do with that? So I said, well, what about taking it slow? And he said, we can take it slow, but I'm going to marry the fuck out of you one day. And again, I'm a person who believes words. And, I'm, you know, there was a part of me that would be like, I'm an idiot if I don't date this man. I don't think I asked some questions that you probably should ask as a human being, but, but that landed... Um, through a solid eight years of marriage, he actually left Los Angeles um, as to do, as he said, to teach the kids the dick jokes at DePaul University here. I think he was really happy in Chicago. Um, you know, L.A. can really beat you up sometimes. And he certainly could have done the exact same thing. Um, but it was exhausting, I think, mentally for him. And so I think he was glad to sit on a porch and have a family unit, me and Sophia, because we're a tag team. We don't, you know, we, we don't take me and not her. Um, and he was a fantastic stepfather and he was a really good partner. And uh, then he got sick in 2018. He was diagnosed with a glioblastoma in his spinal cord. Uh, they see glioblastomas in your brain every one to three weeks. They see them in spinal cords every one to three years. So they tried to treat it as if it were like a glio. God, I've never said that. I've only talked about this once. They they um they they did everything they can, and they gave him a longer life with a better quality. And um, you know, I love is a verb, so I nursed him, and then until he got to die at home, he died upstairs. And yes, I put more sage and shit around there, going, Michael, be kind. Um, yeah. And then it was it was a far more complicated grief than I thought it was going to be. Um, first of all, because it was grieving in the middle of an international pandemic. And if anybody has lost any friends or family, 
or loved, you know, loved ones, certainly during this pandemic, it's been an odd way to grieve. I, I can say that you had a Zoom memorial or nobody could come to the funeral or whatever the hell it was. It, it was lonely in some ways because for me, it was a complicated grief. I found out some stuff after he got married that made me confused and I had to figure out by myself um, cause he had left all sorts of, he left 50 plus boxes of everything he had ever written. So as I went through it, I was discovering about a man that I didn't know, you know, um, before me, you know, gentlemen, if, uh, you want your wife's, uh, legacy, you know, if you want your legacy to be easier on your spouse and all your loved ones, I highly invite you to clean out your closets and, uh, keep your side of the street super clean because it will make, it will make grieving for your partner easier. Mine was a lot more complicated and it was difficult for me to remember at certain times, like my love for him, because it was rough. Um, but I got through that and maybe that was where the pandemic was good because nobody could see me grieve. Um, because again, it was complicated. There were days I was railing against him and days that I was weeping that I missed my husband. It's very weird, very complicated. And, but it was also because Michael was a complicated man and he seemed so simplistic and, your your vision of Michael is correct. This and, and the reason why it was so lonely is the only person this kind of stuff affected was me. He was the perfect stepfather. He was an amazing teacher. He was a great friend. He was, um, I mean, shit, my ex-husband loved him. I mean, it was, you know, like he, he, Michael was great. And so when I traveled on this path during the pandemic, it was really fucking hard. It was really, really hard. But um but I'm grateful I'm through it. I'm remembering all the, the good, you know, I feel like I'm mourning a little more properly now. I don't even know what proper mourning is. I guess everybody's road is their road, but um, that's the first time I've talked about that like that. I, I spoke about it in one podcast about the process, um, but I've never put it, brought it to a comedy podcast. So there you go. It's, but I do feel very bad for people um, who've lost friends and relatives. I, I really empathy. I have a lot of empathy for you and a lot of compassion for your journey. And, um, you know, I hope you've found a way to connect with people because I think we grieve and celebrate in community. So thanks, Charlotte. I just noticed that people have things. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, some, some, uh, emojis make noise like laughing, which probably would have been inappropriate at this time. Uh, clapping. That's okay. Michael would have appreciated it. He was, he was a comedian's comedian, very dry, very funny, very observant. And he was also, I want to bring out, you know, I want to really end that part on a positive note. Michael was incredibly patient with me. Um, incredibly patient with me and would sometimes if I was like fixated on something, he'd, he'd just kind of say dryly, Oh, you look like a pit bull on a pork shoulder, you know, mm -hmm. just really chill. Um, so he was very graceful and, and my daughter could not have done better having this man in tune with her and meeting her where she was when he first, she was like thinking fourth grade when he first came in the picture and he made her laugh so hard. She peed her pants and, okay. and didn't even, and wasn't even embarrassed. Cause I was like, Oh my God, Sophia, that's the greatest thing you can do for a comedian is like pee your pants. That's great. Like, so she was totally fine with it. I saw her, he made her double over on a sidewalk, but he never dumbed it down for her. So it was really great. Amazing. Well, it's, well, she's obviously, you know, very smart, you know, coming, coming from, from you and Joe and, and uh, sounds like she has a high reference level, you know, to be able to, 
to get uh, the comedy that we do. Well, we, you guys. Oh, she's the funniest person. I, my daughter is the funniest person I've ever met. And I don't say that because she's mine. Because if she were not funny, I'd be like, look at you cracking a joke. No, she truly is one of the smartest, most em- empathetic, um, justice-filled children, adult, well, young adult now. She's 19. She's at NYU. She's in the Clive Davis Music Program. She's a brilliant singer and songwriter. They only take 60 kids a year from around the country. And it's really great to see her land where people really can't wait to collaborate with her and work with her. And she's just got a very exciting future out of her. And it's really a pleasure to listen to. I think I listened to one of her songs eight times just in the last two days. Can That's we find stupid. her music online or does she only share it with, with you? Um, I think, no, 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 no. She, she's got Spotify. Uh, you know, I don't know the names they put them all under. I know she's under Fafa Dink on Instagram. She has Sophia Mia Sings, which only has a few songs. on. Like she's got a bunch of shit in all different places. I assume, you know, year three is marketing, you know? Like, but these kids, I mean, they, the cool thing about being these kids these days is they don't have to go to Columbia with a single and say, you know, do you like me? They're like, go fuck yourself. I'm going to sing my music. And that's what I appreciate is that kind of feeling that she controls her destiny. And I am just here to admire it and support her along the way. She's a great human. Great well, human. I uh, don't say that because she's fine. Because if yeah. she were an asshole, I'd be like, my kid's an asshole, but I love her. But she's amazing. That's, I mean, that's what I gather from, from, from afar, you know, from social media and seeing that she's this brilliant musician and anything we can do to help support, whether it's when it's the timing is right to help promote or, you know, uh, she she needs a manager. No, but, but uh, she'll come on and sing for you anytime you want. She just, and, and it's not like, watch me, watch me. She's not that kid. She's not a pushy kid. She just exists expresses herself and then everybody weeps i mean that's the kind of human she is so is, is her last name canali c-a-n-a-l-e sophia mia but she's been going under fia f-i-a instead of sophia it's weird fia mia f-i-a m-i-a that mia. works it's easy that to works. say uh, look when i named her joe got mad at me because he he was like everybody's gonna spell sophia with a ph and you want it f and i said Look, as long as it's right on the birth certificate, I don't give a shit. But really, I was trying to create a name that honored the Italian in Joe because it's Sophia Canali, so bit of a boo, or Sophia Mia, it's fun to say, or something that doesn't rhyme with vagina on the playground so she doesn't get mocked. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> oh, well, somebody decided that. Sure, sure. Uh, and and uh, folks, thank you guys. So, so uh, Susan, let me just say hi to everyone that's here. Thank you guys for being here. And th- th- there, there was a message. Uh, that said uh, that Michael is, is missed and he was a wonderful person that comes from Martin Faraday, who's also a Chicago improviser. Uh, Martin, your joy. Thank you for remembering Michael. Honestly, his legacy um, should be a good one because, I mean, he was a very kind and he was a good person who just, he said, simply, he said, I just tried, um, he said, my life is about help, hopefully helping people and learning a few things. That was it. And I think he did. And I think, I think so. But what a history there. Yeah, what a history there, you know, having written for SNL back in the early days and right out of college. I mean, that, that's that's amazing. You know, sometimes I, I go back and I'm like, oh, I wish I would have driven into Chicago in, in 93, you know, when all you guys were also just kind of coming up. And But then I'm like, you know, everything happens for a reason. You know, it's Exactly. So- I mean, I, honestly, I think anybody who has – 
unless you've really hurt another human being, in which case, make your amends, friends. Life is short and you'll feel better. Um, I feel like everything, yeah, sometimes you create your own fate and sometimes your fate is created for you, but it does lead you to the next place. And um, I'm excited. I'm excited to fight for my daughter's future. Yep. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. And Henderson, the rain king, the king is sitting on the throne. It's a Saw Bella book. And he says, I want, I want, I want. And they say, what do you want? You're the fucking king. You can have whatever you want. And he says, I don't know. And that's kind of where I am right now. But um, I'll figure it out. But it's bizarre even right now for me to talk because I think it is time for me to listen more than talk. So, mm. <laughs> Yes, and... Uh, so I didn't realize though that now did you do stand up also? You know I did, and this is a leading question, Paul Vado, because you said puppet. Um, I, I, I did, I did, I did. I okay. created something. You know those punching puppets that they have like little punchies like in them, yeah. and you sure. can put your. Well, I had a Kabuki punching puppet, and I named him Jolly, and I did this really, really stupid, stupid thing in a show that I created with Matt Besser called Whatever Man and Plop. And it was the only bad review I've ever received in my whole life. But it wasn't Matthew's fault or my fault. It was our fault for not having a director. Anyway, so years later, there was there used to be the U.S. Comedy uh, Arts Festival, the HBO U.S. Comedy Arts Festival in Aspen, Colorado. And I thought, you know what? It takes me like two years to learn how to make a joke with this stupid puppet. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to audition for Aspen because that's how stupid I am. And I just gotten on main stage uh, in Chicago uh, years after I started improvising, probably 10, 12 years later, because I thought, well, that would keep me in Chicago as a challenge and Mick thought so as well. Mick, who uh, runs the Annoyance Theater and created it. And he was also a director, main stage director at Second City. So I was there and I auditioned with this stupid thing that I didn't think anybody would like only to be accepted into the festival, which was really, again, very, very stupid. And I almost put it out of my mind when I even got the call because I was at Second City when I got the call. And I remember Mick saying to me, you don't talk about other things you do while you're at Second City. I had this Judy Bloom show running in Chicago that was getting rave reviews, but I'd never mentioned, didn't mention Aspen. I got the call and I just went, oh, that's nice. And like went back into rehearsal. I didn't even think about it. And from this I was in the alternative uh, alternative uh, stand-up showcase, and I think it was two, two, no, maybe 1998. I don't remember, 1998 maybe, or is it 2000? 2000. 2000. And, uh, and Zach Galifianakis was in my thing. Greg Proops was hosting it, um, and they said, you have eight minutes. And I said, oh, no, 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 I only need six. Almost like... <laughs> At other people like, does anybody need an extra two? You can take mine. I didn't realize it doesn't work that way. And the, and it worked incredibly well, my my bit with my punching puppet. Um, it was a masochistic kind of thing. It worked very, very well in Aspen. It did not work as well when I did Premium Blend and Late Fridays on NBC. Because when I, did pre when I filmed Premium Blend, which was a comedy show on Comedy Central, they shot the entire series in like two days, I think. And... I was the last one on a 16 person day. And so I kept thinking I'd go to the, the craft service table and I'm like, I can't have the turkey because the tryptophan, it'll make me tired. I can't have the raisins because that'll make me fart. And they said that they would they would move the audience, but they didn't recycle, like they recycled it by putting the people in the back and the front. So these people had been sitting there all day. They were also in Westwood, uh, California. So they were all like UCLA students and all the 
you know, real comedians, the real honest comedians who had toured all around the country and middled for seven years in Iowa and shit and now have their big break are looking out there and they're like, oh man, they're students. Let's pull out my student loan jokes. And I'm like sitting there sweating, thinking it takes me two years to write a joke for this fucking puppet. You know, cause that's not what I do. I just make shit up and run. That's what I do. I fart and run in my work. And, uh, so to do something that's product is killing me. So I did get out there and I did it. And at the end of the set, I'm supposed to kind of crumble. And Harlan Williams, who was uh, kind of hosting the night, kind of gently leads me off. And he was like, man, that was brilliant. That was brilliant. Meanwhile, though, crickets in my own personal Hollywood bowl. Nobody's laughing. Nobody. They're exhausted. It's the end of a fucking long day that they've been forced to sit in their seats and only change them once. And... I felt terrible um, and because the producer said, that was brilliant. We'll sweeten the track and it'll be brilliant. And I said, what's sweeten the track? They said, you know, we add laughs. I'm like, oh my God, you're adding laughs to comedy. Like I felt like the biggest loser. And then later on, I did something called Late Night Fridays, which was sort of a repeat of the same thing. And then I put up my stand-up spurs. I will go back to stand-up. It is something that is kind of getting me, but I think um, – but I've always done stand-up persona-based, so I think that doing something as first-person myself might not be protected by comedy because it might be too angry. So we'll have to see what I revisit or if I make up something new. But I will, by saying this to you, I will, I will make this happen. I will ultimately do stand-up. Again, I, I, you know what? Uh, maybe, maybe we can uh, tour together or something because I've done stand-up maybe five times. And it, and the excuse has always been like, well, I, I don't really have a point of view. I, you know, making all the excuses, but also that I love improv and it's not improv, you know. And so I love the, the art form of stand up. And uh, it's it's uh, so yesterday. I Yeah. Yesterday I, I interviewed Butch Butch Bradley, who's a Las Vegas headlining comedian. And I wow. think we're working on a show here where he's going to take. So maybe you can join us where he'll take my stories and then go like, yeah, that's funny. That's a, they call them hits. That's a hit. That's a hit. So every time you know you get a laugh, that's a hit. Now we craft it this way. So if you're interested, maybe you I'm can very interested. Up. But I will tell you this: it, it's a different way to access comedy than an improv. An improv, it's not the goal to say funny shit. It's the consequence of commitment and recommitment to your choices. It like pulls out comedy through like almost osmosis. Whereas stand up and you know stand up TED talks, essays, whatever. If the you know, I mean, if you have a goal of comedy, you better fucking have a goal. And I've never even heard the word hit. So now I've not, now I know an inside things. Yeah. Yeah. I got a hit. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got a hit. You oh, know, so every time you get a laugh, that's a hit. And now of course you trim away the fat, but you're exactly right because we don't go for the comedy. We don't go for the joke and improv. We, don't go for the joke. we have to play the moment. And even when you, if anybody's ever done a play and you've kind of like, you know that there's a funny line and you kind of hit it and the audience doesn't laugh. So you try next time to hit it even harder and you're like, fuck this audience or that kind of thing. It, your director will probably look at you and say, you're playing the joke and you need to go back and play the moment. You don't get to decide what's funny. Your audience does. So, and my whole thing is about protecting content so that people can laugh because I've heard about that Netflix, uh, Last week, this whole Netflix comedy showcasey thing all over LA. In um, LA yeah. This is a joke. That's what it's called. Netflix is a and joke. Chappelle had weird, like Vanity Fair had reviewed it and they said Chappelle had a weird set even before he was attacked and other people just like, it's it's very weird what people can decide is funny or not. And, and apparently he and a bunch of people left the audiences more confused 
and delighted, but it's hard to read the room and it's hard to play it in a place where we can all relate to, you know? Sure. Sure. Yeah. And then when you're performing at, at the, at the bowl there, the Hollywood bowl, my goodness, it's, you know, I think that's where it happens. So it, yeah, it's, it, it can't, it can't be easy. So I don't know what's been, what happened or what's been going on. Um, question, do you, um, have you tried LA? Did you ever come out to LA besides, yeah, you know, for years, okay. for years, I went back and forth. Um, and I remember thinking maybe my goal is to see if I can be an artist in LA, but LA is a city of product and there's nothing wrong with it. You know what I mean? I like LA a lot. I miss my friends. I love my friends in New York. I love my friends in LA. Um, Chicago was the epicenter for the kind of comedy I do. Um, and it all sort of burnt to the ground at the top of the pandemic, not just because of the economic problems during the pandemic, but because of the uh, George, George Floyd and Black Lives Matter and a lot of marginalized groups uh, who felt absolutely marginalized and rightfully so finally felt that people might actually listen so, enough so that they can get their ideas out there. So we have a new world uh, here that, you know, IO is just coming back. Um, Sharna sold it. Second City is sold. They've got new owners and it seems like they're just run by HR right now. It, it's, I, I pretty much told them that in a, uh, I, I'm kind of known as Switzerland for our world. Um, that's what Second City coined me as. And I contacted them and I said, for a building that touts that they do fearless comedy, you don't want to be a building of fear. Um, but it's, it's, I'm still looking at them with stink eye, hoping that I can honor a building that I always have honored as an alumna and as a, as a fan. Uh, so I, there's, it remains to be seen. The Annoyance, thankfully, which is one theater that I'm involved with that I love very, very much as well. Uh, they have managed to stay afoot purely to the incredibly hard work of Mick and Jen and, and a very small staff. And I'm really impressed with them as well. And they've made themselves a home to a lot of people. They sort of escaped some of the worst of people's criticisms, which is, you know, helpful. So, um, so we'll see where Chicago goes. I think a lot of people who have felt marginalized and treated like shit, some of them will start their own theaters and I wish them very well. And I, I applaud them very much because I don't care how you start something. Sometimes it even just starts out of anger and it might be brilliant or they might start having a little more empathy for people who are holding purse strings in other places. I don't think anybody is wrong in their feelings toward anything in this community. And I can't convince anybody otherwise anyway. It's just, I can just become a better teacher and performer as well. You know, we all can. And better I, I, I think that that's wonderful because I don't, I've, I never felt, you know, exclusion or I never felt like, it, but but who knows? Uh, and it could be like I just didn't let it happen. But I started Salsation. I think maybe anger is a strong word. But I remember getting a phone call uh, from an intern going, uh, "If you don't take another class at IO, we can't guarantee that you'll be on a team." On a team. And I was like, "Well, I'm not feeding into that system anymore. I want to do something right." Yeah. So I was just like, "Well, I I go who I, and I and I asked the person. I'm like, well." what class can I take? Cause I, cause I made a mistake. I'd never took Noah because I signed up for Dell for five a. And then they're like, okay, now five B take Dell. And I was just like, well, I just took, and then I just shut up like, okay, I'll take. So I was like, I'm gonna take Dell twice. I'll go back and take Noah some other time. And unfortunately oh, no. I never no, did. Take, when, when I started, when you finally got Dell, you took Dell for perpetuity. 
That's yeah. what it was. And yes, Sharna would threaten to take you off a team if you weren't paying for classes. But after a while, that sort of slipped away. Like, I don't remember being on Blue Velveeta, which was my team, and, and ever having to pay after a certain point. We were the house team. So, Well, and that's the thing. I was never really, I don't think I was ever on, on a house team. Man, I, I don't remember. It's been so long. I just like to hang out there on uh, two, Monday or Tuesday nights when we, do you remember we used to play hearts? Canale yep. was one of the players. I even formed the UHF, the United Hearts Federation. We had a newsletter. Chin had something to do with that. Jason Chin. He was oh, a course. big Jason gamer. Yeah. TJ probably. TJ likes, likes yeah. to bet on stuff. Yes. I don't like competitive games because somebody loses. Isn't aren't I terrible? So like, if you're playing celebrity, I'm the one holding the stopwatch because I don't want to be yelled at. Which is why I also couldn't be on the annoying softball team because I was worried that Mark Sutton would yell at me. You know what I mean? Because because <laughs> you know the annoying softball team was kind of infamous assholes. And I'm like, it's a theater league, you guys. And they're like, we'll have to forfeit if we don't get another girl. And I'm like. Ain't gonna be me because no. I don't want to get yelled at again. I don't want to get yelled at. I'm going to get yelled at. It's not even funny. It's 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 not a hit. It's not a hit. That's a miss. <laughs> oh my goodness, man! So many memories, and I mean, I could I could keep going uh, all night, but I don't know what your time is like. Uh, we can wrap it up if you'd like, and maybe you'll come back because I want you know I I want to talk to you specifically about. You know, teaching, uh, starting the Annoyance Theater. For I, I, you were one of the founders, if I'm not mistaken. And I mean, I, I want to your your show, the Judy Bloom show. Did, did she actually come to your show? Like, there's all these questions that I have. Judy Bloom came to the show. They first of all, they threatened us with a cease and desist because it really was a lift. My friend Mary Scruggs and I adapted three of my favorite Judy Bloom stories forever. Are you there? God, it's me, Margaret, and Dini, and kind of made it almost like a Harold. There was only three blackouts in the whole show. It was just crossfades all over the place. And our friends, our very funny friends like Dana and Julia and Christina Gaussis um, were all over that show and uh, were brilliant in it. And I had no idea even the night before if it would work, but it became a huge thing. I will tell you, Jewish geography saved me in that show because Judy Bloom came to see the show. She was kind of my mother's generation, raised even in a town close to my mom. My mom was raised in Perth Amboy, New Jersey, and Judy was raised in Elizabeth. And Judy took one look at me before the show and she said, Messing, Messing, what's your dad's name? Bob Messing, Bob Messing, Bob Messing. Well, who's his best friend? Arthur Nelkin? No. Mike Bamdas? Yeah, I dated your dad's best friend. That's how I didn't get sued. Wow. But we also were honoring her and we were simply trying to keep our theater open. So she could not have been kinder. And every year since then, I've donated to the National Coalition a coalition of against censorship in honor of Judy Bloom and for the fact that she didn't like put a class action lawsuit against us. Well, it couldn't be a class action. It would just be herself and her husband, George, but she's yeah, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I mean, cause you are taking somebody else's IP, their intellectual property and using it. Oh, uh, for way. it was a cut and paste. I could not have been more guilty. I, again, I'm the kind of person that if I did something wrong, I have to immediately say that I did. I it's just, yeah, I did. <laughs> couldn't, <laughs> can't spin it can't spin it at all thank you well, it also it also is a testament to the fact of how great the show was because granted even if she could be friendly with you and and have this connection if it's putting her work in, in a bad light you can rest assured somebody's going to protect their art whereas in this situation it was brilliant 
you know, Second could... City gave, yeah, Second City gave me the night off to be able to intro the show because some Judy was coming, but she wasn't coming to celebrate it. She was coming to judge it with her. And, and she, we had said, well, we'll fly you out. We'll do whatever you want. She's like, no. And before the show, I asked her, I said, look, um, may I introduce you after the show? And she said, no. And I said, well, if I look at you and you smile and nod, I have to do the outro anyway then I will introduce you. I wasn't going to do it unless she agreed to it. So I looked at her after the show. She smiled and nodded. And of course I burst into tears. I was like, ladies and gentlemen, Judy Bloom. And the audience <laughs> treated her like a fucking, like she was like, I've never seen anybody treated like such a rock star in my life. And I have been around rock stars. I mean, I was impressed. Like, oh my God, that she was amazing. And she just simply said the next day, she took Mary and I out to breakfast at the Drake Hotel and said, what do you want? And I said, we just want to keep the theater open. And she said, okay, you have to pay my legal bills for that cease and desist letter I sent you. And then you have to donate it to the National Coalition Against Censorship. And I did. And we did. And we didn't get in trouble. And it's weird. Years later, I think her son, Larry, worked with, thank you, worked with Dana and Julia. And, you know, like the, the It's a Small World Syndrome saves your life in terms of Jewish geography and it might also bring people together. You never know. But I've always been um, very, very grateful to her because I certainly didn't mean to demean or vilify her. This was not a funny, like the only thing we changed was that we were playing it seriously, kids as adults. That was the only thing we really changed in it. So. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Well, that, that, that is brilliant. Um, yeah. That, that's amazing. It just brought back so many memories. I mean, uh, even with me with starting Salsation and it's going on 25 years, which if you know, believe? congratulations, that's incredible. Improv, that's incredible. I mean, six months, most of them last six months. I mean, you know, uh, maybe a year. So to have a, a, an ensemble last to almost 25 years, but that's, I think a testament to Chicago, to the work ethic, to being at the right place at the right time and having, you know, having you guys have kind of brought us all together and uh, and that's why I never thought, you know, I, I it wasn't like it was kind of like, well, there are no other Latino groups, but I wasn't going, oh, they're trying to keep us out. It was just like, well, Horatio's off to SNL. Armando, you know, at first I didn't even know he was a real person until I finally met him. I didn't even know if Del Close was a real person. I was like, I've they're never met real. him. <laughs> they're all real. They're all real. They're, you know, one of the things that I think, sorry, I'm moving and you, you just learned something that people don't watch words, they watch movement, but my dog needs a squeaky toy and her small, there you go, now I could eat something Pavlovian in her, I have no idea. Um, but I think when you see a need and it just won't leave your mind, you're right. You know what I mean? I, that's when I create, it's because I'm compelled to, not because, oh, I have to just do that today. I'm, I'm compelled to see an idea through fruition. And most of the people I know who've done things that I greatly admire feel that as well. And the fact that it is still there 25 years later is telling you there is not only a need for it, for it to exist in the beginning, it's a need still now. And, um, you know, I think people are like, well, why can't people all just play together? I'm like, well, there, there, are, there are reasons why some people feel more comfortable playing with other people. You understand references, you understand sure cultural choices. And, and I'm not saying that it wouldn't be great if we all had, you know, a beautiful integrated way to work as well, but I'm certainly not going to poo poo anybody's um, desire for a more comfortable creation space for them. That's for sure. Wonderful. Amazing. Well, uh, uh, what about the group Jane? I mean, I remember 
you know, Sharn acted like she invented imp- like girl improv, chick improv in that sense. Look, one of the reasons why, I mean, we had very few women. I remember like, and, and, and not that the guys were rude about it either. I remember to have a woman on your team at one point was a coup. That's how early it was when I was there. And that I know that my, the guys on my team completely honored me from start to finish. And um, I, I would not be here today if not for their, their love support and expertise and an ability to teach me how to play with guys. Um, and the same thing goes with the annoyance. At one point, the annoyance really was 50-50, though. And I was like, wow, the power of women, you know, so I get it. So, yes, in the 90s, a team came out called Jane, and they're amazing women, um, and Sirens, and a bunch of all, they're all mm-hmm. female things. Right. I think the thing that makes, that I believe is that everybody should learn how to play with anyone they can play who with whoever they want to play with, and that is their absolute right and their comfort level. But I would hope that we would know how to play with everyone. That's all, you know. I, I, have, I, to do a, I have to do a pickup show with people I've never met. Even when we were in Sweden, I was doing a show, and two people were speaking in Hebrew. Two people were speaking in Italian. Matt Barham and I were speaking in English, and then I think two people were speaking Portuguese. And it worked out lovely. You know what I mean? Like we didn't even understand each other. Perfectly fine. So I know we can make it work. Sometimes we have to put our ego aside and sometimes we have to be kinder to other people or whatever it takes for us to meet each other where they can meet. Um, You know, I, I wrote a book about improv years ago that I'm grateful that I didn't publish because it was hateful. I would be, I would have been, my name would have been mud I'll just self-admit it at this point. But I mean, I had like, I was so sick and tired of people complaining that the, like, for example, my essay on women in improv was like, tell it to your drumming circle, go fuck yourself. Like I was so (laughs) horrible. I was so horrible because I was trying so hard to fix a victim mentality, but people are victims and then survivors for a damn good reason. And women would come up to me later and say, I don't want to be mauled on stage. And I'm like, you're right. You shouldn't be mauled on stage. And then I realized, oh my God, I gave it up for comedy for so long that I'm completely anesthetized. It's like people who have breast implants because of like cancer. And so they've had their boobs completely removed. They've got breast implants and you could probably like take a pin and put it in their boob and they would never feel it because they, I mean, that's how bad it got for me. And that's a horrible analogy as well. So I apologize to anybody with implants for whatever reason. Thank you. Is that how we're ending it? <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we can't end it that way. Well, we Your we friends are very kind. The ones who have stayed before rolling their eyes in disgust and writing my name on a small piece of paper in order to report me to the new, the new thought police. I don't know. I would love to read your book. <laughs> I, oh, it's bad. It was bad. It was mean. It was simply mean. And I guess, it, you know, I can look at it as a, as a, as a kind of a mark of where I was in my life and my frustration. Um, but I'm really glad it's not here for the general public because yeah. it was hateful. Rachel and I though, Rachel Mason, who's now the sure. new education director at the IO in Chicago the new IO in Chicago. And I'm very excited for her and her journey there. Um, a job which she will be brilliant at. She and I have these two characters, Nadine Cancel and Barbara Flick. And we teach people how to I'm provise right. 
um, where there are very few options, um, even in the initiations you can do in scenes. The only pre-game, the pre-show game you can play is Zip. It's not Zip, 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 it's just Zip, and it's at the same time, because always go first happens. So there's a big competition there with us. And uh, Barbara and I are lovers, and we have written a pamphlet, and it's hateful. And uh, maybe we'll maybe we'll publish our pamphlet because it's really mean, and that's based on Barbara and Nadine, and it's not has nothing to do with no, us. Of course not. It's conduits. These uh, characters. Uh, maybe we can talk a little bit about what uh, where people can see you because uh, I, I think that that's part of it. That uh, I know that you guys do a great show. I believe on Friday nights. Uh, it's usually what six. Yeah, we do a show on the Twitch uh, channel, which I thought was I thought it was a gaming place where you just shit talk people who are actively gaming. But apparently you can shit talk us as well while we do a show called High Society. It's kind of like if, if I had to pitch it to a network, I would say it's the view if it were co-ed and people were on edibles. Because that's exactly what it is, I think. Well, <laughs> So I pitched it. I pitched it well, because that's what it is. So we're just kind of chitty chatting. Uh, Rich Sohn and Neil Dandity and Rachel Mason and I, um, every Friday night at 8 p.m. Central. Mm -hmm. uh, so that, that's, that's been a fun show to do. And, uh, but that's, you know, that's Zoom and it's Zoomish and fun and all that good stuff. Um, I'm I'm kind of dipping my toes into the performing world. Like I did go to Baton Rouge and I know at the end of June, I'll be in Bozeman, Montana. And I will also be in Cincinnati in the beginning of uh, July. Uh, I'm just like, I'm in the Detroit Improv Festival in August. There are just kind of things are starting to kind of tinkle in uh, performing and teaching. It's just starting at tinkle in. I was teaching in uh, a walk-in class at the Annoyance every Monday night on Zoom, and that went really, really well. And they're just kind of reconfiguring new ways for people to sign up for it that's less hateful. So we'll be back probably in the summer. And, uh, and you know, maybe my entire life will change by then. You never know. So, I, I, you know, Susan's a nun. Did you hear it? You know, that kind of thing. It might happen. Oh, my God. Uh, did you see Susan was abducted by aliens and really came back and was anal probed? No, serious. She's like on all the new shows. You never know. You never know. We'll I see might, what happens. Yeah, I might be able to, you know, by the time I see you next, I might be like, look at what I can do, Paul. I can swallow my fist. I mean, I don't know, Paul. I don't I would know. love to see that. Um, I would love to do that. <laughs> that's that's a whole different kind of fisting. It's just, that's just called stupidity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, how's the best way for people to get a hold of you? I mean. Uh, do they really want to? Um, but oh, God sorry. bless, uh, they could, they, I guess, Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or, mm -hmm. you know, even people can get messages to you no matter what. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. What's your address? No, I'm kidding. Um, I'm can... so fucking stupid. I almost just gave it to you. I know. I know. Really? Well, actually, you know what though? My house is pretty easy to recognize because there's a nine foot aluminum bear in my front yard. So, um, no, there is really, I'm not, is that the one? did you, was that you, did you put bunny ears on it? He, he has bunny ears on during Easter. He wore a mask for two years until Christopher took the mask off. My friend Christopher Donahue, one of the best actors in the world, lives in my coach house. That's not an exaggeration. He's one of the best actors in the world. But he really wants to be um, a uh, janitor. I'm not joking. 
So he comes over every morning and changes the cat litter and lets the dogs out. It's great. Um, but he also takes care of Bear and he makes him masks. So when all the little kids and their parents walk by and they're sobbing, the parents kind of deflect their, yeah, they always show him Bear and then they all stop crying. Even those little kids on leashes when they go to preschool, pass by Bear and growl. Michael used to like that when he was sick. He would hear them upstairs and he was pleased with it. No. That's called, a, that was an impulse purchase in Galena. How much did you pay for this bear? And was it delivered? Did they have to deliver it or? It was delivered in a horse trailer from Galena. And they kept saying, it's near Rockford, right? And I was like, no, Chicago is not near Rockford. You are going to be like two hours in that damn thing. Three hours actually in Galena, right? Three and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah on our honeymoon, Michael and I went to the Redwood Forest. And you know how they have those bears made out of burl that are mm -hmm. all kind of goofy and you know, high, like I'm a cartoon burl bear. And I'm like, no, I want like an angry bear. So we never found an angry bear. I had an ambivalent bear on the porch, but not an angry bear. So we were in Galena and we were going to go, it's so stupid. We were going to go antiquing, which is so not me or him. We were like, we'll go antiquing. Like that's what people do. I mean, you know, when you're an improviser and a performer for so many years, you don't even know how to go on a date. Like you're, it's like, you always feel a little weird. Like isn't this when I'm supposed to be on stage? Like it's, it's bizarre to have a real life. And I, we were trying to figure out what that meant. And he said, we got in the car and he said, you know, maybe we'll find an angry bear. One, two, three. We see this nine and a half foot aluminum bear <laughs> and we bought it. And I don't want to talk about how much we paid, but okay. we paid our resources. <laughs> Well, uh, it, obviously, it, it's good for your home, it, it, the, the home value. It's like a pool, I think, pool or bear, you know. Well, you know, they always say that they don't like the hot tub and maybe they won't like the bear. But I did ask my neighbor's permission beforehand. Well, after I bought it, but right before they installed it. And Kathy was fine with it because I have the best neighbor in the world. Uh, amazing. What uh, I would like to know, what neighborhood are you in in Chicago? Because I'm in a neighborhood called North Center. It's what I loved about my neighborhood when I moved here in 1996 is that everybody were these solid blue collar families who had lived in their homes for 40 to 60 years. I live in like a farmhouse and it just felt really great. And then all of a sudden a Starbucks came in. And I was like, no, I was like, no, you can't do that. No Starbucks. And everybody's like, your property values are going to go up. I'm like, I'm never moving. I don't give a shit if they stay stupid. And then all of a sudden people were tearing down the houses next to them so they could have a double lot. And all of a sudden McMansions were being born. So I live in a little farmhouse in a kind of a street that I didn't expect that to happen with, but we've managed to keep the integrity of the joint and it's, yeah, it's. North Center is like uh, just slightly south of Lincoln Square. And uh, then I guess what would be south of that? Lakeview. Lakeview, yeah. South of us. Amazing. Amazing. Well, I can't wait to get to Chicago because I, I'd love to break bread with you. and, and Girl, uh, you always have good. an invitation here. You always have an invitation. I love it. Susan, thank you. You've really made my day. I'm like getting a little Are emotional. Are you kidding me? I, I like I bored your friends for what seems what what has been an hour and a half. I'm sorry, everyone, but Paul's wonderful, and you're really good people for hanging out with him. And thank you for tolerating me. You're all very sweet. Be kind to yourself. You're great people. Do you have any? Uh, hey, Laura, welcome and welcome. Thank you guys for, for those that have been here and those that just got here. We've had an amazing. If you just got here, 
you missed the best show ever. Oh, yeah. uh, if, if that's if you just got here, if you've been here the whole time, thank you guys. Uh, I, I'd like to then go to like final thoughts, maybe Susan, and then let you get on with with your night. And but again, thank you so much for taking time from your schedule. My honor. Thank you. And uh, maybe we can talk you guys into doing uh, a high society from here because you you can actually simulcast to Twitch to YouTube, which maybe you're already doing. I don't know. Uh, I think you are right. You're simulcasting to other platforms, uh, Facebook. I don't know I don't if you know are. What I'm doing. I have no idea. Did you see how long it took me to even get on this platform? I had like, like hot flashes from from this. I was. And it's not just because I'm in menopause. I, I had hot flashes getting on this platform and you were so patient with me. So if you ever want children, you're the guy. Anybody who wants children should date Paul because he's he's got the patience of Job. Ask, ask, me, ask me if I have any kids. Do you have any kids, Paul? Probably. So anyway. Wow. Wow, every sperm is sacred, Paul. That black light in your first uh, house in Vegas. You know? Covered covered uh wonderful susan well thank you uh yes do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share uh if you, you know um w- w- i know people can find you on instagram uh and uh if they have questions and are you wait are you teaching anything then right now or are we waiting till the annoyance are you starting again i'm or- waiting to start my annoyance thing i i go back to like i mean not everybody wants to go back to the university of chicago in the fall right everybody's just going to come into that class um but uh that's that's my college shit uh I'm going to be teaching probably for the new IO. Um, and I know special workshops pop up all the time. So uh, stay tuned. And um, maybe I'll be touring in a city near you, which will be nice. Um, I'm trying to teach less and perform more at this point right now. But I could feel differently tomorrow. I know that I was like, oh, I'm going to teach class in Baton Rouge. And then I did. And I had the best time ever. I think we're all starving for connection. And yeah. uh, improv certainly does that. And I also would have to say that if you don't have to improvise as the goal to become a comedian. You can improvise to become, you know, more comfortable in your skin to find ways to connect with family members. You're like, I don't know what to say to you to, you know, to, to expand your world, to try something that's always scared you because the worst thing that's going to happen in this art is that you might look stupid and then people are going to laugh at you and we're doing comedy. So fuck you. Cause you're covered. So I'm, I'm very excited to meet all sorts of people who like to do this and who are interested in it. Do not be scared of this art form because if I can do it, anybody can do it. That is for sure. Wow, beautiful, beautiful. That's a good final thought, right? It's not like hateful or mean or good luck with that or anything like that, right? <laughs> no, it was perfect. It was so perfect. Yeah. And you've encapsulated really what improv is. And, and you are the quintessential improviser and you're a genius and... I want to thank you so much again for, 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 for sharing your time with us. Paul, I love you. I mean it. And I hope we're in the same staggered homeroom next year. And thank you to your amazing um, cadre of great people who are interested in pursuing this conversation as well. So I'm great. Wonderful. I can't wait to have you back. Uh, so Susan, thank you very much. And folks, uh, uh, thank you all for being here. I'm going to invite the wake bot up. Music comes on and then you can leave at your leisure. Uh, maybe we can even do a little dance. I don't know. Wait, Bob. Welcome. Thank you, guys. Yeah, applause, everyone. Applause. Thank you so much.
because of Martin says he loves you, Susan, and thank you, Paul. So thank you, Martin, and thank you for everyone that was here. Thank you. Thank you, Martin. Thank you, everybody, this week. Thank you. And the show is ending in five, four, three, two, one. It's a hombre holding up the bottle. Look a little closer, cigar in Moscato. An actor in improv coming from Chicago. Outdoor, make way for Paul Bato.